get into it. Um, today, I'm very excited to be joined by Chris Bell, Director of Global Re Recruiting and Employer Brand at N26, one of Europe's fastest growing fintechs and Germany's number one top startup employer, named by LinkedIn for two years running. Morning, Chris. Thanks for joining us. How is everything? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. Sitting here in a nice, quiet office in Berlin. Um, looking forward to sharing some of my insights over the past few years. Awesome. To kick things off, um, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Um, we're always interested to hear people's kind of uh, journey into talent acquisition and, you know, have your roles always been in sort of talent and people focused functions? Yeah, actually, um, going, going way, way back, I was the first person in my family to actually do a university degree. Um, and I chose to do that degree in business and human resource management. Still, no idea why I chose that at the time, but I, I chose it, went for it and um, ran a degree for a few years um, up in Sunderland, actually. I'm actually from Newcastle, just for the record. Uh, so did cross the border and go to Sunderland. Um, my career since then has always been in, in recruiting. It started off recruiting and training, but then went into recruiting and talent acquisition throughout the, the past 17 years, basically, since, since then. Um, I've done a lot of consulting work. Mm -hmm. I started off in a, in a permanent role for a government watchdog organization um, looking after gas and electricity, actually, um, called Energy Watch. And I stayed there for four years and, and became their recruiting and training manager very, very quickly. Um, after that, I decided to go into more interim work. I'd, I'd been given an opportunity randomly um, when Energy Watch closed to go in and sort out their recruitment basically for the new organization that was being set up. And I loved it. I loved the project management piece of it and, and decided to stay a consultant for, well, the rest of my career up until um, I joined N26. Um, in 2012, I started my own RPO company, which was which was really cool. We did that for four or five years, um, but it became a bit too much of a sales job for me instead of actually doing talent acquisition. <coughs> Um, and then obviously transitioned after doing a lot of corporate work um, into the tech space here in, in 26. That's awesome. a very quick my career, but you get the idea. That sounds great. Thank you for that. And now as um, Director of Global Recruiting and Brand at, well, as I mentioned, one of Europe's fastest growing fintechs who I believe are more than kind of 1,300 people across four key locations. Um, yeah, can you tell us a bit about your your journey so far at N26, you know, there's been hyper growth, there's been COVID, and I'm sure lots of other uh, exciting challenges to, to overcome. Well, first of all, it's been completely epic, right? <laughs> it's It's been probably the most challenging role in my career, but also one of the most exciting. You know, mm -hmm. what, I've, what I've done here in two and a half years would have taken five years in any corporate company that I've worked in in the past. You know, there's yeah. no bureaucracy. It's, it's everything you do is, is you need to be adaptable. You need to be able to kind of, grow and change in every single thing. And, and one week is never, ever the same. So um, when I joined back in August 2018, um, we had 350 employees and, and started to grow that from that point up to over 1,500, which we were at at the start of 2020. Um, you have to imagine if you're getting anywhere between 12 and 15,000 applications per month, and that's the power of the employer brand that we build. And you make a commitment to every single one of those people that you will reply within three working days. It's it's challenging, you know. You, you've got super strong KPIs. It's 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 not an easy environment for your team. So you need to create something that is very very motivational. Um, 
doing that is a challenge, of course, and, and we did it most of the time and, and made sure that everybody had that, that response and also filling all of the roles that we had. But it's very important to say that during that time and during the hypergrowth piece, perfectionism just isn't possible during hypergrowth. And I, you know, I put my, my neck on the line there and say that, but you can't be perfect in, in hypergrowth, but you can be as close as possible to it. Yeah. <laughs> we went through that. We were hiring anywhere between 100 to 150 people per month. Um, we were constantly looking behind our shoulders. What are the new challenges? What are the new things coming? What are the new priorities? Because it changed on a literal daily basis. Um, we went through hypergrowth, did that through 2019. And when we went into 2020, um, before we even knew COVID existed, actually, we'd started to have a, a think about how do we become much more stabilized? What do we do as a business? to have more steady growth, a more considered growth. So we had this concept of, of more a qualitative approach rather than a quantitative approach. Mm -hmm. So we already started to make some really strong changes. And then of course, March 2020 came and the devastating world pandemic came into force and we had COVID-19. Um, as a result of that, it was, it was a super, super challenging time, but it was really important for me to turn that into an opportunity. You know, how do you create an opportunity out of something that is such a significant downfall for everybody across the globe and create something new. So first of all, for me, it's all about team motivation. How do you motivate a team that are all sitting at home, all sitting on a webcam like this? Everyone's kind of alone. We've got people from all over the globe. We've multinational team. And a lot of people don't have their families around them. You know, it's, yeah. it's quite a challenging time. So making sure that you're checking in, making sure that you're engaging with the team, injecting fun into everything you're doing so you know setting up virtual pub quizzes and you know still trying to keep that level of engagement so that people feel motivated in what they're doing now from i would say from march through until around august we were having around 30 to 40 open roles per month now if you compare that, that to the past there were often times where we had 400 live and open jobs so people are feeling less motivated but you need to make some positive change so what we did is, is, is create an opportunity for people to think of new processes. What can we do to make a positive impact going forward? And we introduced a new organization structure. We brought all recruiting in-house. We developed a lot of kind of different strategies so that the, the, the team are set up for what we're going through now again, which is a bit more growth. Um, super challenging time, but also super interesting to be a part of. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Chris. And I guess, uh... A theme that's come up a lot during this webinar is the unique opportunity. Let's look at it that way. That, that COVID has presented all of us as as leaders in any capacity to, you know, like you say, the the rec load reducing um, by that much. You know, you don't have to look over your shoulder. You can start looking forward, and you can start to build and rebuild um, things that you either wanted to or you want to iterate. Um, yeah, so that you can, which is great. Yeah, actually, as, uh, when you come out of something like 2019, when you're going through that type of growth, being able to look forward again was actually quite a pleasure. <laughs> you know, yeah. that constant looking behind you just disappeared. So that's all. all... That's some incre incredible numbers there as well. <laughs> when you look at the open headcount positions hired, the, vo the volume um, of candidates and that focus on candidate care. So, yeah, a huge task for everyone in the team. Um, now, we, one thing that we ask people and, and something we really like to draw out of these conversations is, is learnings. Um, now, you've already touched on some of them to a degree, but 
I'd really love to understand any kind of big learnings or challenges in the approach to, to scaling the teams. Um, either in your previous companies or at N26 in sort of corporate world versus scale up versus startup. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that topic. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the, the simple answer to is it different in a scale up versus a corporate environment is yes. Like, mm-hmm. it worlds apart, worlds apart. And um, even in my corporate time, I went through some hyper growth, you know, with HS2. For those that are from the UK, know, know HS2. Um, I joined there when there was 35 employees and left two years later with 2,000. But the, the, the way that's done in a, in a more corporate environment, you know, HS2, when I was there as a government organization, mm-hmm. the, Ace is just a lot slower, you know, it, you still deliver what you need to deliver, but it feels a lot slower. You know, what, what we need to do in a, a scale-up environment is because it's a founder-led and a founder-driven organization, everybody is engaged in what they want to do. Everybody is pressurized in order to deliver against their amazing kind of vision for what they want N26 to be. We want it to be a, a that has 100 million customers globally, of course, that's going to take quite a lot of work when you, you know, when you think about what that would actually mean to have. So it, it's super fast paced here. You know, you, you, like I said before, you're constantly looking over your shoulder. The priorities change on a daily, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly basis so that you're always kind of changing. You're always adapting. And people that come into an environment like this need to be people that can adapt to change and make sure that they have that um, um agility to be able to write, like deal with that you know there's it's not often that everybody stays in the same position that they're hired for you know people move around it's like a jigsaw puzzle sometimes even in your own team where you're trying to kind of manage all of the moving pieces so um what what i what i would say to that is at the forefront of everything is to make sure even when you're going through that and even when you're being pressurized and you see everything coming at you do everything you can to stop your team burning out you know make sure that you are really kind of taking care of the team make sure that you're kind of doing things to motivate doing things to engage understanding making sure people are still uh, have the philosophy of some sort of work-life balance and that the people are get the time for themselves you know delivering what is needed for the business is is absolutely essential but it's also really important to make sure that team come on that journey with you you know that's that's yeah. one of my great philosophies in life Bring a team with you, get them to buy into your vision and strategy, and then you will be absolutely successful. Yeah, Corporate I think some, Sorry. I was having some really great points on there. Um, the corporate versus the, the startup scale-up world, like you mentioned earlier, right, there's an optimization for success and outcome. Um, and it's not always perfection, um, but it's results-led. And I also spent a bit of time in the corporate world, and it wasn't for me, but... <laughs> I don't know what that was optimization for. It was more dance around the process because the process has been there for, for X number of years, right? <laughs> and in a startup or a scale-up, you can literally define any process that you want as long as it works and as long as you're delivering against those targets that you have. As long as the team are buying into it, then you can you can do anything. Like it, It's literally no bureaucracy, right? So if you've got a good idea, you go in and you deliver it, done. Yeah, and another great... Um, Point that you mentioned there on is that that level of kind of change and needing to be adaptable and operating sometimes you know in the gray um isn't a safe space for everybody um you know it is a very um different world and some people don't take comfort 
in in working in that type of setup. So um, yeah, I think people do need to consider that. And in a scaling organization, I think it's really true. You know, one quarter of your job could be this because the goals are this, and the next quarter it can be something else because the goals are something else. And being able to comfortably move around a structure like that is um it's not for everybody is it chris yeah not at all not at all and we we make sure we set up um, um assessment through our recruitment process to test that kind of resilience of people because mm. people can fail very very quickly here and that's disheartening for people that are obviously relocating or, or people that are just moving careers and so on so really having a very stringent recruitment process is that that test resilience at the forefront mm. of everything you do is super important Love that. Thank you. And is there one piece of advice, you've already given some great advice, um, that you'd give when it comes to building startup teams? Is there something that you feel is kind of all too often overlooked? Yeah, I mean, for me, what you need to do is have a very, very transparent culture within your team, right? And that means, for me, it's super important to have strong KPIs. Of course, everybody needs to know what they need to deliver against. It's a very boring part of the delivery piece, but you do need to have those KPIs, you know, that respond to every candidate within three days, make sure you're doing a telephone screen within five days, you know, making sure we've got a time to hire anywhere between 20 and 25 days. It's it's really kind of pulling that in and it's getting everybody to buy into that and what it means, but also knowing that if you don't do that or if you, you, you kind of miss one of those KPIs, that it's actually okay um, and people don't feel too pressured in order to deliver, they've just got a target to work to. And I think fundamentally for me around everything in team management and how you build and scale up teams is have honest, very open, very transparent feedback loops. And that goes in every direction. It's super important for me, for anybody in my team to be able to come to me and say, I don't like what you're doing. I think this is wrong or this is great, you know, and, and I take that feedback on. I learn from it. I, I adapt for it. And it means that you're building a team and building a strategy together with everybody in the team. And it, it means kind of you're removing all of those layers of, of hierarchy so that everybody is involved in the challenge challenge that you have. Mm. You know, you, you also, one of the things when you're building scale up teams is think about candidate potential rather than specific skills for a job. You know, if a candidate has potential, it's often the case where people will move around. You know, mishires are made, especially in hypergrowth. You, you can make a mishire very, very easily, but that doesn't mean you haven't hired a superstar. And if you find a superstar, is there another job that you're hiring for that they can move into? So always think about potential. There's no kind of defined career path or role necessarily for every single person, but there is definitely a defined career that you can go into and move around, especially in a scale of organization. Yeah, love that. Love that. <clears throat> and what would you say, I love this question, is the the biggest kind of BS advice that you hear when it comes to scaling teams? Um, is there kind of one piece of nonsense advice that you think needs to be avoided out there? Maybe more than one. <laughs> um, there are a few, right? But I think especially when it comes to, to scale up hiring early stage companies, there are a few things that happen that should be avoided. Not necessarily advice, it's just when you've got a founder-led business, they're, they're really super passionate. They, they have a, you know, there's a funding run there, hire, 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 get all of the people in. My piece of advice is do everything you can not to overhire. Because you need to have a defined 
workforce plan in order to be able to kind of make sure that everybody is doing a job that is functional and that you don't have teams all working on the same thing across the business. And I think that can very easily happen in a scale-up environment when every um, individual department within the business is thinking about a different, a different thing. You know, yeah. don't hire for hire's sake, have a plan, know what you want and make sure that that's delivered against that plan. And finally, I think even above all of that is make sure that you've got the right leadership in place. You know, don't hire a multitude of juniors without management. Otherwise, you end up in a position where they don't know what they're doing. They've got no defined focus and you end up losing those people very quickly. So make sure you've got the right leadership in place for, for those, that hiring. That's great. And I like your approach to this. It's, it all sounds very kind of, um, one, it makes sense operationally from a business perspective to know what teams need to achieve and what people they need to achieve those goals. But I like this. It's sort of very experience-led, Chris. Like, you know, if if you do overhire or you don't have some level of plan or structure, you know, hiring the people is one thing, right? But once they're in the organisation, um, that experience and their journey is um, is super, super, super important. Hiring is a, tiny, a tiny part of the picture, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, employee experience is just as important as candidate experience. It needs to follow through, and you need to have a strategy for all of that. Otherwise, yeah. it doesn't work. No, I love that. <clears throat> and on the kind of talent attraction front, um, what would you say is one challenge when it comes to talent attraction that if you could make, uh, wave a magic wand, um, you'd love to be able to fix? Well, again, only one. <laughs> you can say as many as you want. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, I think one thing I would love to be able to fix very, very quickly is diversity in all hiring. And I know it's probably a cliche thing for, for you to say, but if you could fix that, if it wasn't such a, a thing, then then you could have a very, very inclusive environment. You know, we're very proud here of having a, a multinational organization, 80 plus nationalities, all working in the same office, different cultures, different vibes. It's it's amazing. But if you could do that with every single area of diversity and inclusion, that would be incredible. And you know what we're doing right now is is like I said, now we're looking to the future. What is it that we can do to implement things that are going to make a difference, especially with things like diversity and hiring? So we're going to be introducing a, a, a new um structured interview framework starting with our executive and leadership hiring um where we would have a, a we will only hire and make an offer to anybody where we've had a diverse pool of candidates in the final stages of interviews and that could be somebody from an under, underrepresented group um a female plus one of it you know just to make sure that in everything that we're doing we're always introducing diversity and making sure that we have a much more inclusive um, background you know people have done this before but making sure we've got anonymous sifting including Taking off things like where you've been to university, doesn't matter where you've been to university, if you've got a degree or not, you know, experience versus education are all very important and not one path needs to define where you go in your career. So getting sifting that takes away all of that bias, all of that unconscious bias so that you're making decisions based on the personal. And if we could fix that in a day, I would love to, but it will take a little while. I love that. And that's an interesting takeaway from people that are trying to um you know solve challenges in their organization around diversity i like that approach to um you know having a, a diverse final interview slate mm. that works really well and yes it's a an additional effort from the organization um and those leaders that are, are breathing down your neck are going to have to 
if you perhaps a little bit more time in some cases, but um, no, I think that's a really good a good focus. Um, getting a very fast pace here. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we've all been there, haven't we? Um, so you'd leave teams of, you know, you've led teams of kind of 12 to 50 people across the globe at N26, um, you know, to define and execute the hiring strategy across the mayor, the USA, working closely with the C-suite and recruitment, employer brand strategy, and still managed to find the time to deliver a positive and innovative candidate experience. So applaud you for that one, Chris. Um, <laughs> in a fast-paced scale-up environment, how do you manage to spin those plates all at once? And and have you, yeah, how do you, or how have you prioritized what is needed and, and what is when? That is, I think, yeah, a I huge mean, challenge to any, any kind of TA leader, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a super, super huge challenge, but we, we've been lucky in the fact that we've got resource in order to deliver. And, and my biggest advice in, in this area is understand your own strengths, right? You, you need to hire a great team around you because nobody is an expert in everything, you know? And if you've got a team that you can trust to deliver strategy, to build strategy, to build a focus, to build what you want to do, then you have a much easier job in making sure these things are, are happening and kind of supporting and engaging the team. But let them do it. Make sure that you've got the people there that have the skill and the expertise to deliver the strategy that you have the vision to deliver, you know, and make sure you celebrate with them. It's, it's super important to not take credit for something that your team has done. It's, it's a very easy thing to do, of course, but celebrate the successes of your team and make sure that they get recognition across the business for what they're doing and have that really inclusive two-way environment. You know, you need to... to build out the company brand, of course, but you can use everybody to do that. When I think about um, how we build the different layers of, of employer brand, which I, I think we'll talk about um, very soon, it's making sure that everyone buys into that so that you're not the only person selling employer brand, your whole workforce is selling employer brand. Mm. Use the internal tools that you have, you know, what, what, what sort of employee resource groups do you have? Do you have a LGBT group, a, a women at N26, ethnic, groups, we've got uh, green ERG, all of those different things that can celebrate what you're doing to make it much easier to you, for you to devise a strategy around employer brand and recruiting around that. And also celebrate failure. And, and this is another big philosophy of me. It's super important to celebrate for failure because if we fail, we learn. And yeah. understanding that from a perspective of your team and being able to engage with that is, is for me, the, the, the one thing that will help you succeed with with juggling all of those balls or spinning all of those plates, as you put it. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And I think it's a whole different um, episode to discuss creating that environment where you already spoke about how open the, the dynamic is with the team, but creating a safe environment where people can admit to, analyze and share failure as a learning is... Um, is a game changer, I think, in a in a team dynamic. But perhaps we'll talk about that more another day. <laughs> um, you've, as you mentioned, you've put immense focus on kind of process improvements across, you know, employer brand and, and candidate experience. And focusing on that employer brand piece initially, um, what makes the N twenty six brand so good from an employment perspective? And and you've touched on a couple of these bits already. But what have you done to engage with candidates? before they're actually candidates, that kind of whole awareness piece. Makes sense. Um, so, so you need to make sure with employer brand that you link it to company brand, okay? That they're, they're related, but they're not married. 
So employer brand is something else. You're trying to sell a culture and a vision internally. Your brand is all about selling your product. But you still need to link with that. And what I've done is try to make a sort of a three-tier employer brand system. So we've got our company brand. What can we do around employer brands and jump on the back of what they're doing from a brand perspective, number one. Number two is have a defined employer brand for you. Make sure that you're delivering against the company values, the vision, what you're trying to do, the culture internally, stuff like that. But also have a brand for your team. So here at N26 in the people team, we have a, 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 a philosophy of we posit positively impact your career story. That's our brand. And by doing that, what we're saying to every employee that comes in is that we have an impact on your career. And people will sell that. So then you get employee-generated content, which is much more powerful than anything that I can do. You know, I can create a strategy around employer brand and say, this is amazing, look at us on the pride float and all of those different things. But that comes to light when employees are sharing that content. Don't forget about reputation and be honest about it. You know, we all have challenging times with Glassdoor. We all have challenging times. You need to embrace that. And you need to be honest and transparent about how you respond to those. Um, link employer brand to the good news within the business. You know, celebrate what's happening. Open source your your um, your content on on things like Medium. Do lots of blogs. Celebrate everything you're doing. Find key moments. Grow networks internally. You know, every time we were onboarding anywhere between 100 and 150 people last year, we shared the hashtag Life at N26. Super simple, but everybody was um, posting on it. And it's, mm. it's that creative content that really works. Create partnerships. We work this year with Women for Women International, which is an international women's charity where we actually, for the first time, ask for donations for people to come to one of our open series. We, we've got a series of events called Talk 26. Um, which is super powerful, where we talk about everything we do, and we often get audiences of up to 100, 150 people, where we're talking about all of that. But with this, we celebrated International Women's Day and wanted to um, create, um, because they, they, they train women who have come out of war-stricken countries on financial awareness. So it had a link to N26. So what the idea was is that the funds we raised, which ended up being a thousand euros, which was doubled by our founders to two thousand euros, which was enough to take. Um, three of, of their, their women through their training. And the ultimate aim, had COVID not happened, was to make them employees at the end of that program. So we're kind of, oh, wow. kind of transition everything that you're doing. Also do things like internal events. Um, we, we were the first company ever to partner with Glassdoor and LinkedIn together. And on, on the 4th of December last year, we ran a, 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 an in-house conference called RecHack, basically Recruitment Hack where we were training our employees on how to develop the perfect LinkedIn page, how to develop themselves for interviews, training on unconscious bias. We had a, a photo booth so we could um, brand everybody's LinkedIn pictures. And when people arrived, there was a huge wall of donuts so that people could pick a donut from the wall. And, and we basically ran this conference that ran from nine in the morning up until 10 in the evening, where we were just giving people training on all of that. And people were saying, why are you training your staff on on?" recruitment skills and, and, and building their LinkedIn profile, you're not scared you're going to lose them. But the reality is people will move on from a company anyway and you need to support them. So support them in a way that is open and transparent and doing things like that. That, that also worked for us. And then finally know that people will leave, but also celebrate that. So we've got a lot of people that have left N26 and have gone on to found their own companies, moved on to much bigger roles. And that's why, um, we, we call it the N26 token. 
And it's it's kind of you get to use that token once. It's a super huge brand. So being moving on from N26, you can only do once. So do it in a way where you're going to really progress in your career. And that's why right now I'm in the middle of building um, the N26 alumni to celebrate and work with people who have left us and gone on to do some incredible things. I love that mission statement. Um, and I love the approach to, I guess, facilitating and empowering um, the brand rather than it kind of being this mystical mm. mythical thing that sits inside ta or marketing or wherever it sits you know you're supporting the organization and kind of creating an actual authentic brand that is them um, getting out there so it's brilliant i know we're tight for time but let's dive into the last key question um, so let's talk about candidate experience um we mentioned the high um, volume of, of applications and your your desire to meet that within agreed service levels. Um, what have you done to ensure the best possible experience for your candidates? Yeah, I mean, candidate experience for me is is the first point and the first touch point of anybody that might join your company. So it's it's fundamentally important to get that absolutely right. So um, I actually built out and created a candidate experience function. Yes, that's a luxury. We all know that not everybody will get the result to do that but have a good business case behind it. Because when I think about, we recruit people from multi, multi, multinationalities across the globe, and we're asking people to relocate everywhere. You need to have a candidate experience that gives people the chance to see whether the city, the company, and everything is in line with what you do. So first of all, we have, um, we build our process efficiency with artificial intelligence through candidate coordination. So all of our interviews, on sites are scheduled using using a robot and candidates love that because instantly they they feel it's a tech company they feel it's innovative and they've got that kind of drive but um, make sure that in everything else you have a human touch and that's really really important um i, I still don't believe cv screening with artificial intelligence works yet um it may do in the future but i think if people are giving you the time to write an application you should give them the time back to respond um we do get trouble so Candidates are nervous about coming into Berlin, so we make sure that we partnership with a very, very strong travel company. When they arrive at the airport, there's a taxi waiting for them. We make sure they're taken straight to the hotel. When they get inside the hotel, there's a gift, a fruit platter, and a welcome card saying, welcome to your interview week. Looking forward to seeing you. We give them sometimes a tour of Berlin and bring their family in to make sure it's the right environment so that there's less chance of this becoming a mishire because people aren't liking what they're doing. Um, we always act on candidate feedback. Candidate feedback is super important. And, you know, looking at things like your, your specific net promoter score is super important to make sure that you are kind of working and, and getting to an area where, where you are providing that exceptional candidate experience. Treat people with respect. Make sure that you're providing uh, feedback for everybody, even if it's through email form. You know, you can't always give a, a telephone call to 14,000 people every month. But make sure you create something that really gives people the feeling that you respect their time and, and what they've done for you. And then through COVID, we set up a, a full digital um, candidate experience and what candidates can do. So it's it's making sure you adapt to every every part of that candidate experience journey. Awesome. And I I love the, um, like you say, you're in a, a fairly unique position in N26 where it doesn't sound like there is underinvestment from a TA perspective, which is which is fabulous. Um, but even for those organizations that don't have that luxury, as you referred to it, there are some some cool takeaways that that they can adapt from a mindset perspective and a, an experience point of view. 
Right, before we wrap up, because I know you're going to get thrown out of that meeting room and I'm going to get told off for running out of time. Um, what is one thought, value or phrase that you live by? Ooh, good question. Um, I, I, I often live by philosophies rather than phrases and, and stuff like that, but I, I, more, more about my principles and every, everything I do. For me, if you think everybody deserves a chance, doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, background, education, etc. Everybody deserves a chance, and you should always think of that when you're running a TA function. Lead how you'd like to be led. Make sure that it's a super open and transparent um, environment, and make sure that people respect what you're doing, but also that you respect them. You know, they are professionals, and you need to trust people to deliver your your strategy and your vision. Otherwise, you become a micromanager, and nobody wants that. Um, and, and finally, infuse a culture of failing as learning. You know, it's, it's, it's really important to understand that it's okay to fail. That's how we all learn. It's how we all develop. And it's, you know, if, if, if we didn't fail, we would never learn. So for me, that, there are my, my three principles of, of leading a TEA function. I love it. Chris, I feel like you've given us a masterclass in uh, scaling teams through, through hypergrowth. Thank you very much for that. Um, there are a ton of points in there that, really resonated with me, um, very practical, hands-on advice, um, but a lot about your mindset as well. And I think that's super interesting when, when speaking to, to business leaders, um, encouraging agility, especially through this year and, and giving your team the opportunity to shine in, in you know, less than glamorous times, I think is, um, is fantastic. So thank you again for sharing an in-depth view of your scaling journey so far. Um, we'll certainly be following the continued success of both yourself and the team. And we really Thank appreciate you joining us today. Um, no problem. Thanks for the invite. Okay.